1: Hello and welcome to The Bunker. I'm Sham Pattenden. Now, there are two certainties in life, death and taxes. And three buses arriving at once and Michael McIntyre. But why do we have tax and why was it invented? The Rebel Accountant has just published Taxtopia, a book detailing the global tax system which encourages dubious practice, which favours the rich, apparently. Cash from chaos, said Malcolm McLaren once. This is cash from loans offshore companies, the Dutch sandwich, government-backed schemes, VAT wizardry, seismic loopholes in the law and much, much more. The Rebel Accountant has written this book anonymously. What we know is that he's a chartered tax advisor who has worked widely behind the scenes in London and Australia and we are hugely privileged to have him in the studio today. Yes, we've signed the forms. So, welcome, the Rebel AC Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Everybody shake your stuff. The rebel's here and he's looking at your self-assessment tax return. Your book is written in a way that hopefully disguises the fact that you're reading about tax at all, you
2: say. Why write this book and who is it for? So tax is an immensely important subject, but of course it's something that most people not just don't think about, but almost don't want to think about. And so I wanted to write a book that would get people excited about tax, but perhaps read a book where they didn't even realise that they were excited about tax. So a book that's a page turner, a book that's fun, that's funny, and happens to expose just how awful our tax system is. Tax is an emotive issue
1: because it also seems to be a moral issue. It's about collective responsibility, surely, about maintaining our public services and making sure we live in as fair a society as we can,
2: isn't it? Well, I I experienced this just the other day in that I got a ferry back from France and I was struck how long the queue was for the duty-free. And that is directly people saying, well, I don't want to pay tax on my my bottle of gin. Yet no one sort of in that queue is thinking, hang on, am I being deeply immoral here? They're just obeying the law as it's written. And I'm not sure there's a, a huge difference between duty-free shopping and massive international tax avoidance schemes. I mean, obviously, it's a spectrum, but they're, they're on that same spectrum. <laughs>
1: Controversial. I mean, I was quite shocked, you say, about the accountants in the book that they're not really in it just to redistribute wealth and make sure everyone is happy and society is fair. There are people who are literally doing it for their cut.
2: Well, accountants are meant to work for their clients. And indeed, accountants have an ethical code, which is very much geared up towards serving their clients. And... Accountants perhaps are more rule-abiding people and more interested in rules than the rest of the world. But when those rules themselves allow wealthy people to not pay tax, an accountant can almost be proud that they're saying, hey, look, I managed to obey this rule and save tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of pounds in tax. But the system itself is set up to reward the wealthy and really stiff over the little guy.
1: Mm -hmm. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, I want to know when was income tax? invented because it's not been here forever, has it? It there was an idea at one point ah, this is what we do.
2: Yes, yeah. So this is one of the strange quirks of our history, that income tax is actually a temporary tax in that by law, it has to be renewed every single year. And it was introduced, I think it was 1799 by William Pitt the Younger to help us raise money to fight Napoleon. And people said, well, hang about, what if this tax stays around forever? And so William Pitt said, oh, don't worry. As soon as Napoleon's gone, we'll get rid of it. And here we are 200 years later. And he did escape once in fairness, so he might come back again. To, to try for European domination. Uh, so we renew income tax every single year. And similarly, when it was first introduced, it was only 1% of people paid it. And then gradually over time, more and more people had to pay the income tax until now it's it's almost universal.
1: Who were the 1%?
2: Well, originally it was the wealthiest earners in society, which isn't necessarily the richest people in that there's a big distinction between what you earn every year and what you own, so income and, and capital. Um, Over time, that started changing to say, well, the easiest people to tax are the ones who have regular jobs, whereas the wealthiest in society often have rather convoluted, complicated international tax affairs. They're very hard to tax, and they also perhaps influence politicians the most. And now it's the wealthy who don't quite pay as much income tax as the rest of us, and in some cases pay no income tax at all.
1: Yes, you use the word convoluted there, and that is a theme in the book, isn't it? Mm, That tax law... Is not simple by any stretch of the imagination, and even some accountants don't know.
2: it changes every six months. Oh, it's astonishing. And who does it help being that complicated? And a very simple example is national insurance contributions, which probably everyone's vaguely aware of. Now, national insurance contributions will actually take more of your wealth, if you're a regular earner, than income tax will. And indeed, national insurance contributions are just another type of income tax. There's this kind of myth that lots of people cling to that NICs, national insurance contributions, pay for maybe pensions or pay for the NHS, but they don't. There are tax on income and the money goes into the general pot of taxation so why do we have seven different types of national insurance (laughs) contribution on top of income tax itself and the simple answer is it lets the government raise national insurance contributions without anyone really noticing which has happened over the last year that we had effectively a two and a half percent tax rise and almost no one noticed because it was hidden away in national insurance contributions
1: i see you name names in the book Mm. Chris Moyles and his used car company.
2: <laughs> that's just that's just a scheme that I've I've always admired. Uh, is <laughs> Tell outrageous. Us about that. But as, as as far has as, he ever sold a used car? is the No, question. he oh. he joined a um, a widely marketed tax avoidance scheme. The way it worked is he was a Radio One DJ. Allegedly, he was earning seven hundred thousand pounds a year, and. He joined a tax avoidance scheme where he effectively pretended to be a used car salesman. So to be a used car salesman, he needed some money. So he borrowed £5,000. But he also paid what's called a loan arrangement fee to get that £5,000. And there's nothing untoward about paying a loan arrangement fee. I I did that on my mortgage. But the fee he paid was £1 million, which meant his used car business effectively had a million pound loss. And he was allowed through a couple of steps to offset that loss against his income which meant he paid no tax what's the moral of this story did he pay any of it well pay? he uh his case got taken to court and hmrc have a habit of trying to pick on the most famous person using a, a tax scheme but he he lost uh, again largely because chris Morris didn't actually sell any used cars so claiming that he had a massive loss from his used car business was a difficult uh, difficult argument to make
1: are any of these, when we have a famous person who suddenly it's revealed that they may have been advised to do something, are they genuinely unknowledgeable, advised to put money in here, get a loan there, oh, suddenly you're not paying any tax and not really understand how it works? I,
2: I, I've wondered about that a lot because obviously most people don't know about tax. And so when their accountant says, sign here, you'll pay less tax, I think most people think, oh, that's that's great. Okay, I'll sign it. And indeed, most lay people, when you talk Talk to them. If you say, oh, did you know you can deduct this from your tax bill? They go, oh, great, I didn't. I can save some money. And so I think there is an element of people trusting their accountants and the accountants thinking, well, I'm trying to do what's best for my client. And again, it's about the system we have is so complicated and convoluted that it allows these often wealthy people to pay much less tax, even though uh, doing so might be morally a bit iffy. Mm-hmm. Is there anything in the book about Lorraine Kelly? There is. There is, actually. I hid it in a footnote. Uh, oh, that's I, I, do, why. I do recommend everyone read the footnotes. Uh, my my <laughs> wife said funny, there should the be foot- a disclaimer at the beginning saying do make sure you read the footnotes. Um, <laughs> yeah, Lorraine Kelly uh, won a court case in that she said that when she was on the Lorraine Kelly show she wasn't just Lorraine Kelly she was actually a performer and she was performing as a chattier more positive version of herself more like an actress than just herself Uh, and as a result she was able to be taxed as if she was a self-employed actress rather than an employee of the Lorraine Kelly show and I've I've tried to use the same argument with my employer that I play a more positive chattier version of myself at work (laughs) so I should pay less tax but my <laughs> My boss isn't having it.
1: Yeah, she ind- indeed saved a tax bill of one point two million. Didn't not bad. She? Yeah, isn't bad. bad by being a construct.
2: I mean, not I, even I, being herself, I, I wouldn't mind saving a tax bill of one point two million if I was lucky enough to have one.
1: Maybe we could all be
0: Lorraine Kelly you know? well, <laughs> just, I've, I've just often take it
2: on. About it, yeah.
0: <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it? A real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to Shopify.com slash system all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today. That's Shopify.com slash system. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window.
1: Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Tell me, what is a tax loophole? And is it right that they're not actually loopholes?
2: Well, until about 10 years ago, there were definite situations where clever accountants and lawyers had looked at the legislation and realised that what one piece of legislation said was perhaps not supported by another piece or was contradictory. And they realised that they could play off different bits of legislation against each other. And I think the idea of a loophole in that sense was, was valid. Then about 10 years ago, a new piece of legislation was introduced called the GAR, which is the general anti-abuse rule. And the idea of the GAR is that, <laughs> it, it's a great name, is that it allows it, to pretty much shut down any tax avoidance scheme. But what we're left with is tens of thousands of pages of legislation which allow wealthier people to pay less tax. So a recent example of that is Nadeem Sahari, briefly Chancellor of the Exchequer and and Chairman of the Conservative Party, who I'll choose my words carefully here. He received, uh, I think it was reported, £27 million from a company based in a tax haven. And when he eventually paid tax on that £27 million, and indeed paid a penalty for carelessly not having paid tax on that £27 million, the tax rate he actually had to pay was between 10% and 20%. And it averaged out about 15%. Whereas most people are paying 20% income tax, another 12%, national insurance contributions, their employer pays another 13.8% national insurance contributions. Put it all together and and most people, if your boss has £100 available to pay you some money, you actually end up with about £58. So we have regular people paying taxes of above effectively 40% and we have multi-millionaire chances of the exchequer paying 15%. I mean,
1: uh, talking about the government, um, nom-dom issues have been prevalent quite recently with respect to our current PM and his wife, Tell us about non-dom, why is it still going strong, and in some respects do we need it?
2: There is two concepts of where you're from in tax. One is residence, which is physically where you live, and if you want to be non-resident, you have to leave the country. The other is non-domicile, where you can live in the UK, but you can say, Oh, I'm not really from here. And in some cases, that's that's fair enough. I I understand that the Prime Minister's wife wasn't born in Britain, and so she can very legitimately say she's non-domicile. That's that's how the law works. But if you are non-domiciled, you are allowed rather than pay tax on your worldwide income like a a domiciled person would, you can simply pay a a fee. It's an annual fee. It starts at £0 and then it works up to £30,000 to £60,000. So based on the number of years that she has been in the UK, she has to pay at the moment £30,000 to not pay tax. On her, it was reported £11 million of offshore income. So she's paying effectively a tax rate of about 0.3% percent. And there have been calls to say, well, surely that's not fair, we should change the law. And our prime minister said, well, you know what, let's keep it for a little bit, which just seems like such a conflict of interest, but that's where we are. In terms of who does it benefit other than the non-doms, there is an argument that says if you tax rich people more, they'll leave the country and that'll be worse for everybody. I'm not entirely sure I buy that. I mean <laughs> London's okay, people like to live here. Where are they going to go? Uh, if everyone had the attitude there'd be a real race to the bottom that you think, well let's let's every country in the world lower our taxes for, for wealthy people. I think you can probably make the same argument for, for lots of people. I mean, I'm sure there are very good podcasts in Jersey you could go and work for <laughs> if you wanted to, but you're, you, you might choose not to.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. But say I have complete personality change. For instance, I'm a fairly low-paid freelance podcaster. I have no property. My family are paupers. How do I make money? When do I buy a yacht?
2: Well, the first thing you do is you become a trainee accountant and then (laughs) you you work your way. I mean, it's a slightly less uh, glamorous world, uh, perhaps, than podcasting. It is very difficult for uh, poorer people to save tax, at least legally. But you, you, it's very hard for regular people to save tax. Once you reach a certain level of wealth, it's much easier. I mean, you could set up a company in a tax haven and put the shares in your father's name, and and you know maybe that will save you tax. You can get to a point where, for instance, if your wealth is earned offshore, especially if it's earned offshore in a tax haven, that you can make yourself non- resident. Now, residency, remember, is where you live. So if you physically don't live in the UK, then you don't have to pay UK taxes on your offshore wealth. Well, you can still be in the UK a bit of the time, and the rules do get far too complicated. In some cases you can be in the UK for almost six months and count as not UK resident. Is this when I buy the second-hand yacht? So this is when the yacht comes in. I hope it's a first-hand yacht. But yeah, it could be if you... You don't actually technically need the yacht. It's a lot more fun To do it with a yacht, you just have to not be in the UK and not be in any one place for too long because, of course, other countries have similar rules. France has a residency rule. So it's not just you don't want to be resident in the UK, you don't want to be resident in France, you don't want to be resident in Italy too long. But if you're in a yacht, you can move around these different places, you can be resident in countries for a few days at a time, and then you become resident nowhere. And so your offshore wealth remains offshore, untaxed. So we have, I mean, you might even call that a loophole, but we have a situation where if you are rich enough, it actually becomes tax efficient and wealth efficient to buy a yacht. I mean, I'd, again, I'd love to be in that situation. Maybe one day I will be. Have to sell a few more copies of the book yes. first.
1: Remember, they're not truly happy.
2: Remember, they're not truly ah, happy. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> am I unusual in that I want to pay my tax or am I being selective saying, oh, income tax, that will definitely go towards schools?
2: Well, so it's two questions there, really, in that Are you unusual for wanting to pay your tax? Slightly, I have encountered lots of people who say, oh, I'd like to pay my tax. Often when you dig down a bit further, and we can do this later if you like, it turns out that what they mean is hypothetically they'd like to pay more tax. But when they are actually doing their tax return and they think, can I deduct this, then they do. The other issue, which a lot of people don't realise, is most of us when we pay tax aren't really contributing to the exchequer, which seems a bit strange. You pay tax, surely that goes to the government. Except everything in accounting has two effects, a debit and a credit. And one person's income is another person's expense. And so if you are an employee in a big business, your salary is an expense for the business owners. So the easiest example of that is if you work for a partnership. Now, in a partnership, it's just the rich partners are employing you. So you get paid your salary. The partners have the exact same deduction from their income. And because the partners are richer than you, the amount of tax that the partners save is bigger than the amount of tax that you pay. And we end up in this bizarre situation where many people, the taxes they're paying aren't paying for schools and hospitals and roads and high speed two and whatever else. They're actually tax subsidies for the wealthy partners, which is really weird.
1: Um, Who's better or more ethical, a Labour government or a Conservative government?
2: Mm. Uh, I've tried to be an equal opportunity uh, sneerer, is that the word, (laughs) snarker? the we've had thirteen years of, of conservative rules, so my more recent examples are obviously about the Conservative Party. I'm not sure the Labour Party did much better. Uh, the I mean, Tony Blair managed to avoid three hundred thousand pounds of tax when he bought a six and a half million pound townhouse.
1: He didn't buy a six and a half million pound townhouse, did he? Rebel oh, you Accountant? have been paying attention. I yep. read the whole he, thing apart from your Lorraine <laughs> Kelly note.
2: <laughs> he didn't buy a six and a half million pound house. He bought a company based in the British. Virgin Islands, and the British Virgin Island Company happened to own the Marylebone townhouse that he wanted. So he set up a company, his company bought the British Virgin Island Company, and that meant he got the keys to the house. Now there's no tax on buying overseas companies, and so he didn't have to pay the enormous stamp duty fee when he didn't buy his (laughs) Marylebone Townhouse for six and a half million. So, you know, if, if Tony Blair can be caught out by that, going all the way back to Winston Churchill was an absolutely shameless tax dodger. I mean, there are so many examples of as soon as you reach a certain level of wealth and power, you think, well, I'll pay less tax, why not? All of these people, perfectly legal. I'm not saying, you know, these people are illegally dodging taxes, mm-hmm. but they are dodging them.
1: I'm never going to look at Starbucks without thinking of the phrase the Dutch sandwich. Is there any way you can really quickly explain what a Dutch sandwich
2: is? Okay, very quickly. You've got Starbucks in the UK doesn't own its own image rights. And so Starbucks will pay a royalty fee, often to a company in the Netherlands. And that royalty fee is deductible from Starbucks's profits. It's actually taxable in the Netherlands. But the Netherlands have a treaty with countries in the Caribbean where they are allowed to pay the royalty fee onwards to the Caribbean meaning that suddenly the Netherlands have income matched by their expense so the Netherlands paying no tax and the royalty fee ends up in the Caribbean in the tax haven bank account where there's no tax. Uh, I I mention a few times in the book that whenever we talk about companies dodging taxes, mm. it's always the same tax that they're dodging. It's this tax called corporation tax. And corporation tax is a tax that companies pay. Mm-hmm. And one of the big problems that we have in our system is a company is incredibly hard to define. I mean, what is a company? It's this very abstract legal entity. So how do you pin down an abstract legal entity? And you can't. And it's why companies are able to run rings around mm. legislators mm-hmm. and make sure that their Starbucks end up in a tax haven in the Caribbean. And indeed, you talk about Amazon, you talk about Facebook,
1: you talk about um, Jeff Bezos within that, Elon Musk, Mm. those people who may not necessarily have an income, but...
2: Oh, that's yeah, fair. I mean, Elon Musk... Uh, he, he doesn't get a paycheck, am I right? He, well, he he for a long time didn't get a paycheck until it was pointed out that that was a breach of minimum wage legislation. Oh. So he now is offered minimum wage. <laughs> uh, he said he wouldn't take it. He's, he's not greedy. And <laughs> uh, instead, what he can do is because he owns hundreds of billions of, of Tesla shares, he can borrow money using those Tesla shares as collateral. So a little bit like getting a mortgage and your house would be sold if you couldn't pay back your mortgage. He can do that with Tesla shares. But as a result, whenever he needs cash, he can just borrow a bit more, borrow a bit more. And he pays interest on those borrowings. And during the long period of low interest rates, that meant he effectively didn't pay very much to get his hands on billions of dollars worth. Uh, He ends up in a situation where he might owe a lot of money, but the vast gains that have accrued on his Tesla shares, he would never have to pay tax on if he never sold those Tesla shares and he can eventually die and hand on those Tesla shares to his his many children, and they would not have to pay tax on that accrued Mm -hmm. gain either. So effectively, the vast increase in in the value of those treasure shares would evaporate. There would be no tax on them ever. Uh, It's a tactic known as buy, borrow, die, uh, which I don't necessarily recommend all three of those to everybody.
1: (laughs) It's as if money's smoke and mirrors, isn't it, somehow? Mm -hmm. The book is enormously readable. What we get from it is... The tax system is far too complicated and poor people pay more in real terms than rich people. How do we change the system, Rebel Accountant?
2: I think to start with, what we have to do is remove all the unnecessary complexity because a lot of it is there just to hide the amount of tax we're paying from us. So, for instance, if you are on benefits and you get a job, you pay an effective tax rate of 55%. Now, that's higher than almost anyone else in society is paying. And it's because of a complex tapering system where your benefits are taken away. When you start to earn above a certain amount of money, you pay income tax and NICs on top of that as well. So, you you can have a situation where some of the poorest people in society are paying tax rates of 80 plus percent we need to deal with all of those taperings we need to deal with the artificial separation of things like income tax and national insurance contributions and merge them together indeed merge together capital gains tax inheritance tax just end up in a situation where we have one tax but if you have this one tax then everyone can look at rich people, poor people, whoever it might be, and say this is how much richer they became in this year, so this is how much tax they paid. It will put a lot of accountants out of work. (laughs) I think that might be a good thing. (laughs)
1: Maybe it will. Well, for all of that, I would very much recommend reading your book, Taxtopia, because it's the most hilarious book about tax I've ever read. And I haven't read very many. Thank you, I think. (laughs) It's an absolute rip-roaring read. I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Taxtopia, as we say, is out now. And for those of you listening, there's a new edition of The Bunker every morning. So please do subscribe and back us on Patreon. Just search Bunker Podcast Patreon for extra shows, goodies, merch, and more from just £3 a month. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time.
0: At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioural health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up like delicious lolly focus pops or lolly mellow pops for kids. And for parents, try three new brainy chews to help you focus chill out or get energized Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's olly.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
2: The Bunker was presented by Sean Pattenden and produced by Kasia Tomashevich. Audio production came from me, Robin Lieber, Lead producer is Jacob Jarvis, group editor Andrew Harrison, and our theme tune is by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production.